Hi, I'm Spencer Christian. I've been a broadcast journalist and weathercaster for more than 50 years. And over those years, I've met many remarkable people. Remarkable people with remarkable insight. Now, I'll be talking with them about the issues of the day and about their personal journeys. I'll even share a few of my own. So come join me after the weather, and we'll learn together. My guest on this episode of After the Weather is Paul Swearingen, also known as Pastor Paul. He's the former pastor of an evangelical church in Fresno and is widely known as a critic of American evangelicals for their embrace of right-wing politics. He's also the author of a book entitled, Joseph Comes to Town, When the Religious Right Becomes Religiously Wrong. I can't wait to get into this discussion with you, Paul. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Christian. Thanks for having me. Sure, absolutely. Uh, Oh, you know, by the way, um, this is very forgivable because I sound like I have two first names. People often call me Christian instead of Spencer. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I am so sorry, Spencer. How did I do that? It's okay. got Christian on the brain today. That must be. Well, I am Spencer the Christian. So (laughs) (laughs) please forgive me for that mistake. Not not a problem at all. So, you know, there's so many things I want to discuss uh, about today's evangelicals, uh, issues like gay bashing and book banning and equating God with guns and all those things. But before we get to that, I, I just want you to share with us a little bit of your personal journey, your personal spiritual journey and your background. Yeah, I, I grew up in a, a very uh, conservative evangelical home. My dad was a was an evangelical pastor, and I, I often half jokingly say, uh, in our household, God and Ronald Reagan were neck and neck as the greatest <laughs> beings that ever existed on the planet. With yeah. maybe Reagan inching a bit ahead, you know. <laughs> but I, I began to start on my own both theological and ideological journey, and particularly around the Bush administration. I started saying, "Hey, this." This marriage we have between a political party and our religion doesn't seem to line up with Jesus and the story of the Bible. And um, and I did a crazy thing. I started reading the Bible and saw that uh, way more often than uh, talking about banning abortion, the Bible talked about taking care of the poor, the foreigner, the marginalized, and the economically disadvantaged. And so my wife and I really began uh, a journey to try to see our city become a better place and let our faith drive us to that. And she ended up being mayor of Fresno for two terms. I ended up leaving uh, sports media and sports broadcasting and starting a church. And and uh, and we just have continued that journey and transformation to today. Now, as you began your transformation, shall we say, your awakening, uh, how did your congregants react to that? Well, uh, I, I kept a lid on it for a while. Uh, I was always pushing the boundaries and challenging things. And and my wife ran for state controller in 2014, narrowly lost to, to Betty Yee in a really uh, hot contest there. But she came out for marriage equality on the campaign trail. And wow. I had to explain that in a sermon and and did what a lot of Christians do that I really don't like now and said, hey, we understand that the Bible is, uh, you know, against this quote lifestyle, uh, but I am not going to be divisive and push away people when I see Jesus drawing, again quote sinners closer rather than pushing them away. Right. And our biggest tithers of our church, ten percent of our income, got up and walked out in the middle wow. of the sermon. Um, so yes, it it was 
people were seeing that transformation start to happen. And then we knew ultimately we had to step out of, of that leadership because the people just, just couldn't get there. Yeah. As a Christian myself, Paul, I wrestle with the um, idea that so many really devout people, I don't, not questioning their faith, uh, seem to be more driven by a political agenda or a social culture wars agenda than a biblical agenda, which is what we should be driven by. How does how has that happened, and how has it uh, gained such a huge following, especially among evangelicals? I mean, I'm sure there are ultra-conservative people in all denominations, but you don't see this kind of uh, right-wing fervor among Methodists and Episcopalians and uh, Presbyterians, but you see it among the evangelicals. Yeah, yeah. I knew we were in trouble one day when I walked out of my church and in the parking lot, one of our you know, very regular attenders had a Huck Fillery bumper sticker on oh, his God. pickup truck. Oh my God. Uh, I'm like, if, <laughs> if somebody can hear me speak four times a month and put that bumper sticker on their car, there's a problem. Um, but the reason, I, I, as I see it, uh, it, it really starts with identity. And, and, and in the Christian teaching of evangelicalism of uh, salvation, we really teach self-hatred to ourselves. We are dirt. We are sinners. Yeah. We are capable of nothing good without Jesus and salvation. Uh, and But people find their identity. So, so since their identity and value is taken away by our teaching, they find identity in being a part of the community. And as right. human beings, we need everything we do, I say in my coaching services, is for safety, value, and purpose. And so people are looking for that safety, that value, and that purpose. They find it in their church. We teach them that in the end times, Christianity is going to be oppressed. You're going to be beheaded. You're going to have to put 666 on your forehead. And so I think out of all of that, then the ideology of anti-abortionism got uh, politicized and weaponized with Christians. Yeah. And so they became really intertwined. And I think a lot of evangelical Christians see this as a righteous battle. Yeah. And when people say, oh, you guys are voting for evil people for office, they're like, yes, because we're we're fighting for God. And if you come against me, I'm being oppressed. And that's what they're looking for. And they feel like taking that stand or making that vote, they are defending the community that they so need to be a part of that identity. Right. And well, you know, as you talk about um, following or embracing certain leaders who they feel are fighting for them, uh, I, you know, I go back to what you said earlier when many people in your congregation or in your world were equating Ronald Reagan with God. It seems that today's evangelicals are equating Donald Trump with God. And yet, I think it's fair to say Donald Trump is a man whose behavior and whose character are anything but godlike. Yeah, isn't it interesting that uh, the Christians' two favorite presidents, Ronald Reagan and Donald Trump, never went to a church service in twelve years of office combined? I, right. I mean, it is the dissonance is is pretty crazy. And I think really what we saw happen around Reagan. Um, and the, again, the weaponizing of abortion around that, and and you read some of the Republican handlers around that time, and and the Republican choice to begin to use religion and and racist dog whistles openly, really started to feed in again to this feeling of hey, people are coming to get us and take our religion away. You know, yeah. the people that Jesus called whitewashed tombs and said bad things about are called bad names in the Bible in the first century. They were a politicized religious group who believed they 
they needed to overthrow the government to make their country great again. In, mm-hmm. in John 11, the, the religious leader says, hey, if, if people follow Jesus, we're going to lose our temple and lose our country. They they felt their job was to partner up with Herod, this evil king, to save their country and save their religion. And it's so incredibly similar to what American evangelicals think. And so we wanted a Messiah. I don't know if they think Trump is God, but a Messiah, yes, <laughs> they do, or at least King David or Cyrus or something. And I think an evil, rogue, Bruce Willis, diehard kind of, I don't follow rules, I just break things to do the right thing, quote. Right. Um, they love that Donald Trump is their guy and he's willing by any means to get them to what they want. It, it seems that there seems to be something about that authoritarianism that has an appeal, whereas as opposed to a man like Jimmy Carter, uh, whom they could have embraced, evangelicals, as, as their leader, a, a truly godly man, a man who has uh, lived a life of of service as defined biblically his entire life. Yeah, what a guy! And yeah, and Jimmy Carter and Hillary Clinton were both Sunday school teachers, right? Yeah, and, that's right. <laughs> I mean, I, again, you can't make this stuff up. Uh, I, yeah, I, I mean, I hear Christians talk about despotic leaders, uh, you know, like the guy in Hungary or yeah. or Putin now is really clamping down on homosexuality and and uh, same gender relationships in Russia. And I think Christians are kind of like, wow, wouldn't it be great if we had a leader who could just speak our beliefs into being and therefore that authoritarian stop the libs from doing their thing, I think is fairly appealing. And because making the country great again through imposing Christianity through civil law is so important, any means necessary, and uh, authoritarianism, I think they appeals to them as a little bit shorter way to get there. And, and yet, we were not uh, instructed by God, I, at least in my reading of the Bible, to, uh, to in, I don't want to say inflict, impose uh, uh, Christianity uh, on, on the world through civil law, but through maybe spiritual warfare, Right? We, right, the Bible talks a lot about spiritual warfare, but I don't recall Jesus ever telling us to take up guns and go out and police the neighborhood. Uh, I think quite, yeah, quite the opposite. Uh, and that's one of the amazing things about this in Christianity is is seeing people whose leader, whose teacher, Jesus, that they you know they call themselves Christians. That means they yes. they claim to look like Christ, and he said. If you live by the sword, you die by the sword. And and all of the political arguments of the day, do we pay tribute to Caesar? He never jumped into those arguments. He he avoided them and actually seemed to say the opposite of like how Rome will be overthrown, how we'll no longer be oppressed by Rome is when we stop oppressing the oppressed, when we stop oppressing the Samaritans and the lepers and, and despising the tax collectors, when we love our neighbors as ourselves and our neighbors include our enemies, the people that we don't think worthy of God's favor. And when that happens, that's when bad governments get toppled and societies turn and their hearts turn merciful toward something good rather than if you try to impose it through civil code or or violence or any sort of pursuit of power that pursuit is going to get corrupted and i think that's what jesus was telling us 
I mentioned earlier that you are, uh, among other things, a novelist, and uh, I want to talk a little bit about your novel, uh, Joseph Comes to Town, When the Religious Right Becomes Religiously Wrong. And one of the central characters there is uh, Pastor Saul. And I'm just wondering if there's a bit of you, Pastor Paul, in this Pastor Saul, or is he more akin to Saul of Tarsus, uh, who had his epiphany on the road to Damascus? Yeah, you you uh, you read that perfectly, and I'm really happy that you did. It, it's it, yes, it, Saul, uh, his wife, and his son are really all three quite a bit of me and my journey of learning uh, how to live culturally and 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 socially through uh, the prompting of my religion. But yes, Pastor Saul is very much akin to Saul of Tarsus just really with passion in his heart. Saul knew the Bible better than anybody. He was the best Bible student in the best Bible school with the best Bible teacher yes. in the center of Bible study. And his conclusion of reading the Bible is, I need to go kill people and pull them out of their house and have them slaughtered until he encountered the real actual Messiah, Jesus. And then suddenly he changed. And, and that is what happens with Saul in my book. And the premise being that, you know, the book was an imagination of, of if Jesus were incarnate in America today, what would he be saying about this politically religious church? And I don't think it would be kind. <laughs> and and how that impacted the transformation of a, of a man, of a person, and how one person's transformation can impact a city is my statement. You know, my transformation can impact a city through the ripples of my transformation, transforming the world around me. And so that was my vision of what could happen uh, through the novel. Are you still pastoring? Do you still have a, a brick and mortar church? Yeah, I, I always say no, not a, I, I do not have a brick and mortar church as we're moving away from brick and mortar retail these days. Right. Uh, and, and so my pastoring is on social media, uh, I am at unconventional Pastor Paul on Instagram and TikTok and Facebook. And uh, yes, really. And I do emotional and spiritual well-being coaching, which is by far the best pastoring I've ever done and uh, seeing people's lives transform. But yeah, people reach out to me through DMs on the social media and I get to you know interact with them. And it's just beautiful. I love it so much. I don't think I'll ever go back. Uh, to being inside the four walls of a church building yeah. four Sundays a month. You know, I I also mentioned that you are a podcaster, and uh, I've watched, I think, maybe three of your podcasts on, on nice. YouTube. Uh, and I especially enjoyed a, a conversation you had with a guest on one of them. Where you were talking about, um, well, the, the term you used was proctology media. So <laughs> I, I'll let you describe what that means. <laughs> well, if you know what a proctologist does, <laughs> right. they, they deal with a part of the human anatomy that's on the backside below the belt, if you know what I mean. And right. and so if if that's the part of the human body you're looking at all the time, you might say, ooh, the human body is not the most attractive thing and maybe a little smelly or something else. <laughs> and and to me, that's what the media and particularly right-wing media like Fox or these QAnon websites, they, they are looking for something grotesque to say, look, this is what the world is today. This is what humanity is today, as opposed to maybe a plastic surgeon or even an artist who looks at the human body and says, wow, what a beautiful, amazing creation. And even its flaws are beautiful. And, and so I really encourage people to get away from all media, maybe every once in a while, but particularly if you feel like like I did as a Rush Limbaugh listener in my past feeling like, hey, this is making me angry and this is making me mad at people. 
that's not good for my heart. And I stepped away from Rush Limbaugh. I fasted Rush Limbaugh for a week. And I was amazed at how much it changed my world, how much more hopeful and happy it made me not to delve into this conspiracy theory, angry, divisive stuff all the time. And I never listened to Rush or really Fox News or anything again. And it really impacted my ability to love people and love my neighbor as myself. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the anger thing, because that's something that uh, disturbs me and puzzles me about so many uh, conservative Christians, evangelicals, however we want to characterize people, is this uh, what a big role anger plays in their in their lives? Uh, and and I I keep looking for people who are expressing this outrage and this anger to also express some love and some compassion. Uh, and I, I just it it bothers me. It, it really disturbs me a lot. I mentioned maybe I was a sportscaster in my past life and did a morning sports talk show for about 15 years. And I would always say to our producer, our job is to get our listener to emote. We want to create emotions. And what's the easiest emotion to to produce? Anger. Uh, you know, occasionally we can make people happy or joyful and the Giants win the World Series and we all cry together. But Usually I would say something bad about the Raiders and I would get Raiders fans <laughs> calling and telling me what a horrible person I am. And I and I think Fox News is a great example of of uh, a media that has fed off of that outrage, uh, uh, you know, machine and, and Republicans have really bought into it. And so now just a word like woke which most people can't even define, yeah. it sets people off. And, and that's all that's all they do is say woke. And all of a sudden, people are on their side. How, how strong a movement do you see growing among like-minded people, people of your uh, worldview, um, getting together to try to influence other Christians, especially those we call the evangelicals, to perhaps open up their hearts and their minds a little bit more? You know, Spencer, it's been really interesting. I I, I was on Facebook and and I, I had all kinds of my former uh, church members, like some questioning me and some saying really horrible things to me as I began to speak out against what I saw as a politically prostituted church, not mm -hmm. my church personally, but the evangelical church. Right. So I finally told my wife the night before the uh, 2020 election, like, oh, I'm getting off Facebook and I'm going on TikTok. And my, I made a video on TikTok about why my faith wouldn't allow me to vote for Donald Trump. And that thing went viral. And, and now I'm at 131,000 followers on TikTok. But um, I found that there's this world out there called the deconstruction community, people who are deconstructing their faith. And it's a huge group of people. My wife and I <laughs> thought we were the only ones. Yeah. But there's a ton of creators and followers. And so a lot of people are saying, hey, this this political mixing with my religion isn't sitting well, and and Donald Trump uh, worship is sort of the final straw. And we're seeing it in the data that churches are shrinking at a record rate in America like never before. Yeah, uh, you know, and that disturbs me as well, because as I see it, it appears that this uh, really rigid, hardcore um, set of theology is more of a, a, a political theology that uh, is is often being put out there by the evangelicals is turning young people off from Christianity in general. Uh, they they seem uninterested in hearing the message, even when it comes from a loving point of view. Yeah, uh, and 
and Christians will say, oh, that's the great falling away. You know, we yeah. we just recently hit the point first time in American history where less than 50 percent of Americans attend a church service more than twice a month. And, um, and and so Christians will say, oh, the great falling away is happening. And they miss that what we see is in the Bible continually and even in history is a judgment of people groups. And when people groups forget, like my uh, my good friend Jeremiah, you know, was, was yeah. uh, at a time where Babylon was becoming a threatening enemy and the prophets were all saying, no, Babylon's not going to take us. We're too important to God. Our country matters to the world. And Jeremiah's like, no, don't listen to those guys. Babylon is going to take us. And the reason is because we've forgotten the commands of the Bible to seek justice for the poor, the foreigner, the marginalized, and the widow, or the economically disadvantaged. And he said it is God's mercy, actually, to let us be overturned so our hearts will be turned back towards what we're supposed to believe. So people think they're doing God's work by following this right-wing religion, but actually uh, they're committing the very violations of the books of Judges, where we see all these things happen. and. Uh, and they are sending two generations absolutely far, far away from the church. And I don't even know if the evangelical church will be an influential religious sect come, uh, you know, 25 years from now. Yeah, that, that's a good point. So, so what's the next step in, in your mission, Pastor Paul? I mean, will, will you run for political office or will you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, wife is, my wife's the politician of the family. <laughs> I, I'm not sure if she'll ever run again, but uh, she, she delves in ph philanthropic uh, economic uh, development for our region to try to combat poverty and racial inequity and inequality in our, our city. Um, uh, you know, sometimes we look at the shrinking of church attendance and we're like, oh, no, that's bad. But what I'm finding is while Gen Zers are, are much less Christian than uh, generations prior, they are greatly spiritual. They are they are hungry for truth. They are hungry for kindness. And so the coaching I do, uh, I'd like to write another book. Those are all things that are are really reaching out to those generations. And and I, I say I give you permission as somebody of spiritual authority to not have to go to a church building to be in right relationship with heaven or the divine. I, I think most of us have some innate sense that there's something bigger out there. And so I just really want to be able to spread this message. That's a very basic. God is not mad at you right. and, and you can go pursue spirituality as it fits into your life and let it draw you to goodness and kindness. And again, loving your neighbor and loving yourself. So goodness can flow through you. Well, hearing that certainly lifts my spirits, Paul, because <laughs> you're talking about the comparison with Babylon, I was, I was beginning to get a little uh, disheartened. <laughs> but, I mean, it's a scary time and scary to think that Donald Trump could be our next president. I mean, yeah, it does make me shiver a little bit, but in some ways, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, there's, there's been some... No, no, no. You're, maybe... You're right Maybe the blessing of the season is this, that that there were things in our heart under the surface in American Christianity that needed to be exposed. And maybe Donald Trump was an impetus to bring this sort of, I, I mean, when Barack Obama got elected and the hatred to Obama by Christians, I kept telling my, my pastor friends, we feel a little racist to me. And they're like, no, no, no. But we've seen now as Donald Trump has emerged that there was a, a deep-seated racism yes. built into our Euro, white Euro Christian culture. And, and I think maybe it's good that it's being exposed because it's forcing many of us to say, oh, I can't be a part of that. 
And, and a friend of mine named Brian McLaren wrote a book called Do I Stay Christian? And he said, yeah, you can stay Christian in this season, but you cannot stay quiet. And yeah. so maybe it's making some of us speak out. So now that, um, how did you put it? We have exposed that kind of uh, bigotry and, and racism. Um, and, and people are beginning, young people are beginning to recognize it. Do you sense they're also rejecting it? And they don't want that to be the way they see the world. Yeah, I, I think uh, I am so inspired by the millennials and, and particularly Gen Z, who yeah. I, I think are just like, man, can't can't we just love who people are? Yeah. And and I don't you know, I don't know if we can fix the boomers and Gen X and I'm a Gen Xer. Um, and I'm, a, I'm a boomer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they they may have to pass on for some of this to go, but I I just don't see. In fact, I see such an aversion to racism and homophobia and misogyny in the younger generations. What uh, you know, a, a boomer or ex or Christian would call woke. Uh, I see woke and say, yeah, yeah, they are beautifully woke. And, and and by woke, I say open hearted to hear the story of someone else without judgment, with curiosity, with love. And I think when we're not taught out of loving human beings by religion or culture, we really passionately want to love each other. And that's the beauty of humanity. And I, I think Gen Z is really going to release that in their generation. Well, Pastor Paul, Paul Swearingen, it has been a, a, a true pleasure having you as a guest on this podcast. Um, very uplifting, uh, very enlightening. And I hope we get to do this again. I'm, uh, you're a podcaster. I'm a podcaster. We have much to talk about, far more than we can squeeze into one episode. So let's do this again. Man, I would love it. Invite me anytime. And my wife's a big morning news watcher, and she's a big fan. And she said to tell tell Spencer hi, and that I'm a big fan. So she wanted That's me great. to let you know. That's great. Well, friend, well, maybe next time you, you and your wife can both join me on this. Oh, that would be great. We would love that. We Let's we actually that. once a month do a podcast together where we say we talk about the two things you're not supposed to talk about: politics and religion. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. Well, we'll keep talking about that. So, awesome. Love thank it. You, thank Paul you for Swearingen. having me. Okay. We'll see you again. And thank you to our listeners for joining us on this episode of After the Weather. After the Weather was edited by Leonard Torres. Our executive producer is Marcus Young. This podcast is a product of ABC7 News. And be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform and leave us a like if you liked this episode. I'll talk to you later. Take care and so long for now.